0: Hey everybody, so we have hit one million downloads from the JB Sales Make It Happen Monday's podcast, which I couldn't be more proud of and more thankful of for all you listeners out there. I really appreciate it. Um, we're going to be counting down the top five episodes here. And so this one right out of the gate, this one was a podcast episode number 136 with Armand Farak, And this one we got super tactical. I mean, Armand talks about how he had to stay focused, tunnel vision and block in time, and, and how inefficient most sales reps are and how he created massive efficiencies to increase his conversion ratios, to get confidence on the phone, uh deal with objections i mean he he laid it out in a very very tactical way so that's why this is one of the top ones because everybody walked away with a ton of information on this one so listen to it again if you haven't listened to it in a long time write some notes down and be prepared for number four coming up here soon
1: in Poppin' the Ultraman James, Say What Sales Buckley, and this is your weekly Make It Happen Mondays episode with your host, John Barrows. Big shout out to our partners, SalesLoft, Proposify, Gong, Vidyard, Chili Piper, and Salesforce Sales Cloud. SalesLoft, our original sponsor, is the premium cadence platform for all things outbound cadence to drive results. Customizable in every way and with APIs for your additional technology, SalesLoft's value is unrivaled in the sales community. So visit SalesLoft.com to see it in action for yourself. Ever wonder what happens to your proposals after you send them? Proposify tracks and measures your proposals in the hands of your prospects in real time. Know what's happening. It really does matter. Check out Proposify.com to learn more about Proposify. How well do your salespeople perform on their sales calls? Gong.io is the leader in conversational intelligence, and the insights that they bring to the table can change the game for your company as you scale. Check out Gong and Gong Labs to follow along with them as they show you what works and what doesn't. Video is fast becoming the standard for all things personalization. There's no better way to create videos, track them, and impact your clients and prospects than with Vidyard. With APIs for SalesLoft, LinkedIn, and more, Vidyard is quite possibly the most easy to use video platform out there. As a long time user, I can stand by the value that Vidyard delivers to me in my outreach process every single day. Visit vidyard.com to find out more today. Scheduling can be a real nightmare when you have a packed calendar. Chili Piper makes calendar management easy. Your prospects, clients, and internal employees are but two clicks away from a meeting time that works for everyone. Everything you need can be found at ChiliPiper.com. Schedule better. Salesforce Sales Cloud delivers a streamlined experience for your front lines. More than just a CRM, this super powered digital Rolodex is customizable, drives actions, manages tasks, and is the engine for all things sales at scaling organizations. Make no mistake, Salesforce Sales Cloud will be the last CRM that you ever have to buy. Learn more at salesforce.com and dive in. The water is fine. Good afternoon, everybody. This is John Barrows with Make
0: It Happen Mondays. So I'm here with somebody who is seems to be almost as busy as I am these days. And uh, we're going to have a conversation about time management and how to get a bunch of shit done while we are going crazy. So Armand, the director of sales over at Carta, you want to tell everybody how, hello and where you're coming from?
2: Hey, guys, how we doing? John, thank you so much for having me on board.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about like what, where, give us a little bit of background like, cause I think this is going to put some context to this conversation right now and leading up to actually what you're doing literally right now, you know, in the dual role that you're doing right now.
2: Definitely. So by background, 60 seconds on me is I sold insurance for two years. I ran a startup for two years. I worked in strategy and venture investments for two years. And then I came to Carta uh, Card is a company that helps private companies manage their equity. So you can buy a stock of Walmart extremely easy. It's almost impossible to do that on the private side. And so I started as an account executive, I did about 225% of my number in my last quarter and uh, became the number one AE out of 40. And it was largely because I was ex- an extremely strong prospector. Was a solid closer, but the number one thing is I had more pipe than anybody else. And so they said, hey, take what you're doing, multiply it across 30 SDRs. Took over a team of 15 SDRs at the time and one manager and doubled the team size. So from 15 to 30, but quintupled pipeline generation across the nice. team, so from X million to XX millions. Uh, and then they said, hey, take what you're doing. SMBAEs don't have any, uh, any SDR support and go and expand your org. And so today I run both SDR and SMBAEs. It's an org of about 50 SDRs and SMBAEs as well as seven managers.
0: So it's a lot. I mean, the, what, you're, what, what you're dealing with right now... Um because, you know, it's funny, I, I ask a lot of reps, you know, one of the big things for me that, that reps, when I say, oh, what do you want to get out of today's training or whatever it is, they always, you know, always time management comes up. And, and I always call bullshit on reps. I'm like, why is time management a problem, right? Because they say, Oh, well, I'm too busy. I got too, they're, they're, I got too many things that, that they're asking me to do. And I literally say, bullshit, like, fuck off. They're, they're, that is not true. It is just that you're very inefficient with what you do. And I put that on myself too. You know what I mean? Like like if I like it's not that I don't have enough hours in the day. It's literally that I waste some of the hours in the day by doing dumb shit or I'm not focused on things. So what did you when you took that team from when you doubled that team and you but you tripled the the output of that team, like what were, what do you think the main before and after were that you brought to that, that you brought with your skill set to that team to make it more efficient? Like what's the biggest challenge you see that reps have with efficiencies when it comes to doing, I mean, really at the end of the day, when it's just prospecting, right? You could sit there and say, well, what the fuck? You just got to make phone calls and do a little bit of research. Like, why is it so busy? So what what are some of the things that you get in the way of reps? And what is the biggest reason why they get in their own way?
2: 100%. I mean, you have the famous quote, everybody is it has a game plan until they get punched in the face yeah, and I 100% it. agree with that. And what that means for most sales reps or AEs or SDRs or whatever it might be is, uh, you, you have a wide open week. And so you plan to make 200, 300, $400, whatever it is, whatever your metrics are, and then you get two, three discovery calls thrown on your calendar. Yeah. And then you got to send two or three follow-ups and then you got to do this and that, you got to respond, uh, reply to your inbox. And then your boss blows you up with forecast and all of a sudden, Everybody says, you know, I'm just managing so many deals that I don't have the time to prospect. And for me, it was, look, I have a finite number of hours in the day, but what I can absolutely control is the transition lag between every single thing that I do. Right. And so what most reps would do is they would take a sales call and they would leave a little bit of buffer time to send a follow-up email. right? And then they would go on to the next sales call and they would send another one. And I actually did the exact opposite thing where I tried to remove decision fatigue and I took notes in form of my recap email template. Yep. And then I lined up my calls back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And if, a call, if any single day got too ugly, I would block two hours minimum for prospecting only. And then at 4 p.m. at the end of the day, outside of the golden hours, every single follow-up email would go out because they're not thinking about me through the whole day. They have calendars that look like yours and they're doing the rest of their job throughout the day. And at the end of the day, they're checking their inbox. And that's the mentality behind it is bucket all the nonsense together and get momentum behind it. And I think
0: that's, I couldn't agree. Like, it's funny, you and I do the exact same thing. So, so for me, because I I use um you know Chili Piper for my for my meetings, right? So I'll send you a link to my calendar and I'll say, okay, just pick a time. And I don't really pay much attention, right? So all of a sudden, prep for my day tomorrow. I'll look at my day tomorrow. Well, whatever, uh, like Monday or Tuesday or something like that the night before, and I'll be like, oh my god, you know, it's literally back to back to back to back, to back like every half hour. And so I do not have time to do the prep and the follow up, right? So I I do the exact same thing. I go through my checklist the night before of all those meetings to prep for them, to get my, you know, who am I talking to? What's my goal for that meeting? That type of stuff. I have a very structured way that uh, that I take my notes. I take them in a format that I can legit just cut and paste and put into an email for the follow-up to say, cool. And then at the end of the day, that's when I'm doing all my follow-up, right? So because I'm getting very efficient at it. Have you done... Let me ask you, how did you come to this point? Did... Did you read anything about it or was it almost like a forcing function for you to be efficient or have you always been uh, very efficient with, your, w- with uh, how you've approached things?
2: No. So I, I used to be fat kid, extremely disorganized, extremely <laughs> introverted. Not a lot has changed, just a little bit less introverted. And so basically what happened is there was a point back all the way back in college where I wanted to start a company and I was on the college wrestling team. I was managing a full-time course schedule. I was working two jobs and now I wanted to start a company and i was doing every single one of those things extremely poorly and so i just got in the habit of saying i'm going to try to spend maybe an hour every single night planning my attack for the next day and then i'm going to spend the entire remaining eight hours of the beginning of tomorrow to the end of the day tunnel vision visioning like crazy and it's a practice because inevitably you don't actually keep the time blocks at the beginning of course
0: Right. Yeah. There's always the ah. Sorry. I got to. You know. That came up. And and there are certain things. But but how do you keep yourself focused? Right. Because are you like from a plan standpoint? Do you? How far do you look out for your goals to back into them?
2: Right. And so, are you saying how far do we look out at the goals or at the schedule itself?
0: I'm talking about you personally. Like with with because because the way I look at it is I got a big hairy goal that I want to get to. Right. So you know, and I'm gonna back into that, and then I'm saying, okay, well, based on that goal. Um, here's kind of the buckets that I need to address. And then based on those buckets, here's the activities that I need to do on a daily basis, basis to get there. My question for you is personally, like in your life, right? Are, do you look five years out? Do you look 10 years out? Do you look a year out and back into it? Because I because I think there's personal and professional goals. And I think ultimately the personal goals are the ones that, that drive us. And the professional goals are the ones that get us to that personal goal. So help me understand you just, because I just want to understand how you tick a little bit.
2: Yeah. So I, I, it's New Year's, it's, it's not New Year's resolution season. It's New Year's resolutions
0: giving up on season. Yeah,
2: (laughs) exactly. And so I actually hate New Year's resolutions because they tend to be this big lofty goal and then it just tends to be let's live Yeah. And so I am a huge fan of, I mean, one of my goals was making director and so got to that a little bit earlier than, than other things, but I have a ton of other goals that I want to hit by the end of 2020. Everyone on the team wants to make president's club. But if you don't back that out into quarter, month, week, day activities, literally down to level where it's in a spreadsheet and then create systems to hold you accountable, meaning time blocks on your calendar every single week to listen to a podcast, to dial, to do X, Y, or Z. For me, one of my things was expanding my network. I mandate that I sign up for one networking event every single month and I have reminders and calendar blocks set up. And I have self punishment set up, where I'll literally give someone random a hundred dollar bill if I don't do it.
0: <laughs> no way, really. So
2: if you don't set up accountability systems for yourself on a month, week, day, quarter basis. Yeah. You're not going to do it.
0: No, And because that comes down to routine, right? I've been I've been really talking about this a lot, which is you know, if you don't have a routine doing something, it, it rarely happens. It's like working out, right? Like if you get into a routine of every morning you get up and you, you know, you go to the gym, you hit a few, you know, or, or you don't even need to go to the gym. Like you just do a few push push-up sit-ups and you hit the elliptical for like 15 minutes, but you do that every day, you stay in shape. Right. But if you like, but for me, like I'm an event driven worker router, right? Like I suck at working out because I like, I, I work out for like one thing like we're going on vacation so fuck it i gotta go to the gym for the next two months so i don't look like a blob on the beach right um but i know if i just woke up every morning and did a little bit so what's your routine i know you kind of broke down your week but what's your routine look like
2: yeah so it starts in the morning and, and i've amalgamated a series of morning routines from people that, that have mentored me over time and so the first thing that i do is i don't hit the snooze button and some of this comes from the book the miracle morning is you the the, the moment you hit snooze You're basically saying, I'm willingly going to repeat the worst part of the day over and over and over again. And that is easily the worst part of the day. That stuff comes from the book, The Miracle Morning, phenomenal book. Uh, But then after that, I get up, I wash my face, blah, blah, blah. I immediately make my bed and sit down on the bed and I start to have me time. And so I want to start the day on my terms, not on someone else's terms. Yeah. And so what I do is I pick up the book or I listen to a podcast or sometimes I just sit there and I start writing and I'm gonna spend the first 10, 15, 20 minutes a day focus on getting myself better before I have a boss breathing down my neck, before I have a kid crying, before I have a girlfriend going crazy, whatever it might be, and I'm gonna get that quiet time. Then while I'm doing that, I'm drinking pre-workout on the side. Yeah. And the moment I get too tingly, that's when I get up and I go to the gym. <laughs> And so I've started my day two days before, but I feel like a million bucks going in. And I promise you, once it hits 7 p.m., I'm still going strong, whereas other people are either skipping their evening workout or they're eating crap dinner or they're going out for drinks, and I still feel like a million bucks.
0: Got it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it, it. That routine and having it be consistent. Now, do you break your weeks down uh, where you do certain things in certain times, of the, like certain days of the month or d- days of the week? In terms of sales,
2: or just in general?
0: Uh, sale. Let's talk. Let's let's now get a little bit more like towards our jobs, right? Like from a sales standpoint, um, you know, Mondays versus Tuesdays, d- mornings versus afternoons. Do you get that detailed?
2: Hundred percent. And so there are certain things that are the first. Uh, dichotomy in your calendar should be your golden hours versus your everything else, of course. And so those golden hours for me, that's 8 a.m. to 3 p.m.
0: What do you define as a golden hour?
2: Golden hour means I'm doing absolutely nothing but being in front of customers or trying to get in front of customers.
0: Okay. Those are the
2: only two things I'm allowed to do. Okay. And so it's either taking discovery calls, it's writing cold emails, it's making cold calls, and it's getting in front of people okay everything after that comes from the hours of three to seven p.m and beyond where it's follow-up emails it's researching accounts it's finding accounts all of that stuff comes after hours
0: so i'm gonna so there's a a little bit of a divergence because i'm curious on this one of my frustrations is uh these days when i do training right so i i don't I'm, i'm i'm debating in my I'm asking this question to a lot of people, can you, what, and, and I'll, I'm gonna ask you this question, but I'm gonna give you what I'm getting at here, which is, can you teach work ethic? Can you teach drive? Do, what do you think on that one?
2: So when, when, I, when I originally had taken over the team at, at Carta, there were, I mean, we, you name it, we had it. It was the work ethic, it was the way too many sales floors clear out at 5 p.m. issue, uh, it, it was morale, it was everything. I don't believe you can teach that but you can absolutely build a culture that fosters it. Okay. And so the way you find it is you hire for the right types of people and the first thing you got to do is you got to rally around the around a core and the number one thing that I hire for is the chip on the shoulder. Okay. Right? Not an attitude yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah. You've got a little bit of something to prove.
0: How do you find that out?
2: There are, I mean we could have a whole session about interview questions, but I, yeah. I, I've been through a number of sales interviews and one of my philosophies on sales interviews is that they should be extremely difficult yeah. because you need to see how people react to, diver- uh, to, to adversity. Oh. And so one of my favorite things to do is, for example, uh, when, when I wanna get a sense of how an SDR is gonna prospect. Sure. And so I'll say, hey, there are 40,000 venture-backed companies out there. And on any given day, you gotta, you gotta get down to 50, okay? I'm gonna give you an infinite database of publicly available information I want you to start giving me filters that help you narrow down to what our ideal customer might be and who you're gonna run a cadence or sequence or campaign against. And so inevitably they'll keep giving me filtering criteria and I'll just keep going until they run out. And I ask them to get resourceful. Then you get a sense of how they start asking questions and how they do when they're under pressure. If they start sitting back in the chair, if they get nervous, they're twiddling their thumbs. And that's how you can start to see how someone acts under pressure. We do the same thing with a cold call test where it's never an easy cold call, but the people who demonstrate the grit and the coachability throughout the call are the ones that come through.
0: I used to do that too. So I would go through the interview and I would ask good questions and I'd push them a little bit, but then and, but there's always the professional interviewers. You know what I mean? There's always the kid that, that has read all the books on interviewing and knows the questions no matter how good we are at asking them um but then i put i used to put them through this uh cold calling exercise where i would say all right whatever well, like tell me what you sold well like what what did you sell recently even if it was just something that whatever you're passionate about right like now i'm gonna be your exact target market market for that thing go in the other room cold call me and all you got to do is get a meeting right so I'd, i would let them go do that and whether they're good or bad it didn't matter because when i when they came back i would give them feedback well, this is what you did good this is what you did bad i think you didn't do this but now you got to go back into the other room cold call me again but now you're selling my product now you're selling i you know at the back of the day it was outsourced it services right so i now now you're now you're a rep here at this company and i am a target market for you and you need to now cold call me and again you're not pitching anything you're just trying to get me a meeting and and the people that took the coaching were the ones that i said okay Right? versus the ones who either just didn't take the coaching or tried the exact same approach or just didn't even listen to what I said. Those are the ones I was like, I don't give a shit how good that interview was. If you're not coachable, I don't care.
2: Exactly. And and what's hilarious is we do something very similar where we whiteboard wipe out, wipe out feedback and we watch the candidates very closely to get a sense of how they react. And inevitably, a lot of them will, will know to be coach, coachable in the interview. But again, if you do the exact same thing again, I actually prefer if it's worse the second time. You're
0: right because you tried something
2: you're trying something new yeah and almost it, it's very very rarely better the second right. time it's almost never better the second time yeah. but i appreciate that they're trying something new and they're trying to get reps in yeah
0: so so what do you do so like because i think I, I think you're spot on right like you build that culture um but you got some say you got some kids on the team that are just like just the you know go home at five kids i mean yeah. do, I mean, I guess there's always room for B players in every organization, right? So, but but they do take away from the A players, right? From the people who who do have the work. Do do you do you think they just ultimately flush themselves out, or from a management standpoint, do you have to purposely put them in different buckets and almost coach them in a totally different way to get to get them to do kind of find that 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 gear, if you will?
2: Yeah. So so the, the the problem is, John, exactly what you just defined is they're comfortable, yeah. they're, they're B players. And so because people in that bucket tend to be comfortable, they don't tend to self-select out. Right, And so you gotta parse that out in the hiring process, but you can't always do it. And so you've gotta over-index on rallying around the core and setting the expectations. And this is a little bit of a controversial opinion of mine, but I do happen to believe in upper out because I don't want somebody to be an SDR for seven years. I I want people who wanna be CRO. I want people who wanna go start their own companies. I want people who literally come to the interview and say, I wanna take your job. And I will literally sit right next to you through midnight if that's what you wanna work on and I'll buy you dinner and I'll be right there with you.
0: How do you balance that though with the lack of patience? Cause I I, I love that drive too, you know, I, I was that kid. I was, uh, I remember when I was working at Xerox, right? Um, it was my second job. My first job was DeWalt and my second job was Xerox. And, you know, I was just a sales rep, right? So what I would do is, and I just, and I, for, for whatever reason, I had a, a strong work ethic, right? And so I would just, I, w- I just did what I thought my job was, but I was getting so many accolades because my manners were like, oh man, you're kicking ass, like you're great and da da da. And so I'm like, okay, well, look, here's the deal. Like, here's my job. Okay. Here's the next job that here's the next job in my role here's the next job like i want that job like how fast can i get there right and 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 that's the reason i left xerox was because the answer was well you have to spend 2 years doing this then 2 years doing that then 2 years doing this and i just didn't i was like wait a minute so that kid over there who sucks is going to get the same opportunity for a job as you know as a promotion as i am um so that's why i kind of like the startup world but but my mentality was like i want to get there but i'm going to master this I'm gonna master this and and it's I kind of go back like my first major in college was was art and one of my favorite uh, artists is Picasso and Picasso what he did was he mastered every medium before he went to the next one right so he went all in on acrylics all in on this but he and he mastered it before he went to that next level I fear these days that we're in such a short-term results oriented society and and an, and an impatience in is there to get to that next level without earning the right to get to that next level. So how do you balance that, as a, especially as a manager and guiding these kids towards that?
2: Exactly. And, and I, I feel this every day, week, month, because I mean, I'm managing people fresh out of college. And yeah. there's always this perception of what your career is going to look like and all of that. And then you're making 200 cold calls. And so it's a tough job. And so right. let's just acknowledge that that SDR is not an easy job, neither is AE or anything in sales if you want to be number one. Right. And so one thing that you mentioned, John, is is the immediate red flag of a manager is you are getting all these accolades. You're saying, hey, you kick ass. You're the best in the world. You're doing all the right things. And people don't get impatient with timeline. People get impatient when they think they've got it all figured out and their manager doesn't have a good enough answer to challenge them. Right. And so when I've got an SDR who's been in seat for six months or nine months or 12 months and they're knocking the cover off the ball off the ball, that's when I'm turning up the heat now
0: go ahead go, no because because i think you said something important there though you said th- they think they have it figured out there's a big difference between thinking they have it figured out and actually having it figured out like i'll give you like my daughter is a perfect example she's nine years old right so she doesn't really understand hard work or anything like that but like she'll do something and she'll like she'll do it like like a easy example like basketball right mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay. Hey, like started playing basketball a few years back. Right. And we got, we, you know, raised the hoop from six feet to 10 feet. Right. And she's starting to shoot at the 10 foot level so she can get the ball up there. And she's, oh, I got this. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got this. Like <laughs> you just because you could get the ball 10 feet in the air and it goes in every once in a while does not mean you figured out basketball. Right. So, so how do you balance that, that kid who thinks they have it figured out? Cause I like, this is a real thing, man. Like There's these kids who like have this perception of, yeah, I got this. When you and I both know based on the fucking hurt locker that we've been through in our careers that no, you don't, you're nowhere, you're nowhere near where you need to be. Right. So how do you break that mentality? I mean, I know this is a coaching thing and all that other stuff, but I think there's a, there's an ego thing there too. Right.
2: Yeah. And and again, a lot of it is just, if you can't set a precedent and sometimes, unfortunately, when you're stepping into a new role, you're inheriting a pre- precedent sure. with timeline or whatever it might be. And the worst thing that can kill a culture is promoting people who don't deserve it or promoting totally. people who, early who aren't as good as the new guy on the block. 100% so agree with so it has got to be a minimum level of standard. But to your point, the moment they think they've got it figured out, I raise the bar just a little bit. Okay. And so not, I raise the bar in terms of promotion timeline or anything, but now I say, Hey, you're good now. Now let's do a mock discovery and I'm going to play the toughest CFO in the world. And let's see how you do. All right. Now you're an SDR. You want to go and close. I'm going to put you on a call. and I'm going to have you drive in a situation where you might not be familiar. And let's see how, if you can really tango and you can dance the dance. And John, if they keep passing all the challenges, then tenure goes out the window. And if you're kicking ass and you're going to be 10 times better than the guy next to you, then I'll move you. There's a degree of time and in seat in, in anything. No one gets promoted to enterprise in one month, no. right? It just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. But you can be flexible if somebody keeps rising to the occasion. But you can't be an incompetent manager and not constantly challenge them.
0: Yeah, and I think that like I kind of inherently did that. And I think for me, it was like a, it was almost like a, a necessary evil because I was a player coach, right? When I was a VP, I had, I had six reps reporting to me. And I just didn't have the time to develop reps like I wanted to, you know, sit with them and everything else. So I used to give them assignments. And part of it was because I, I needed to, to delegate and, and take shit off of my plate. But the other part was, to, to your point, to see how they would react and to see if they would take on that additional responsibility, A, without bitching about it, and then B, what did they do with that additional responsibility and how do they execute on it? And if they kept executing the the world was theirs like I, I i put in guidelines as far as okay for the first year you have to spend it you know being a inside sales rep basically and then after a year based on your results then we'll promote you to this but if six months in you were murdering it and then i started giving you extra responsibilities and two months after that you were you know you're murdering those it's like kid all right go fucking you know get out into the field because you're murdered you know so yeah. how um let's now let's talk about like the because I think this is, you know, the motivation piece is is critical. I, I I think you can't, I think you put people in position to be successful, but the whole can't, you know, force a horse to drink, you know, type of thing. You bring them, right. Um, let's talk now though about like the, the, how you actually find the time to carve off all the stuff that isn't important. Because I think that's the, like, people get bogged down with shit that's just straight up not important. They think it is. And so it's kind of that 80-20 line, right? How do you how do you figure out what's actually important to working on and when, when what's not on a day-to-day basis?
2: Definitely. And so I, I like breaking down your day into the core activities. And you've probably heard there's the urgency and importance quadrant. Yeah. And yeah. so people tend to spend time on what's urgent. And you've got to make sure that you leave some time for the stuff that's not necessarily urgent, but extremely important, whether that's watching tapes, listening to podcasts, reading books, whatever it might
0: be. Coaching as a manager
2: coaching as a manager, right. all of the little things that aren't putting out fires, you've got to block time for that on your calendar. But then you also have to block time for all the stuff that's just the core pieces of the job.
1: What it is, y'all. It's your man, James. Say What Sales Buckley with this breakout message, a special message for you. We are probably doing the biggest giveaway that we have ever done. Our friends at Pillar Booth made two Make It Happen JB Sales call booths. These soundproof booths are epic. You can get in there and do your calls with no distractions and make things happen every single day. I think these are going to end up being in offices everywhere. They go for over $5,000 and we are giving two of them away to two very lucky winners. We are also going to give these winners, 10 memberships to JB sales, 10 annual memberships to JB sales and a one hour. Ask me anything session with John Barrows himself valued at over 5k. Let me tell you this is over $13,000 worth of prizes. Be sure that you enter this giveaway. Find your information at content.jbarrows.com slash giveaway. That's where you're going to be able to enter that URL again is content.jbarrows.com slash giveaway. You don't want to miss out on this opportunity to get this crazy value for this giveaway. We will see you soon. Hashtag say what sales. If you're a salesperson, we're the same person. Let's get back to the show. And so I broke it into
2: three different pieces as an account executive. I got a prospect And so the way I consider prospecting is uh, it's not like just the cold calling and the emailing, it's finding the accounts. And so broke that into, I got to find the accounts. I got to find the people on the accounts. I got a cold call. I got a cold email. And that's what I started to stretch across my calendar. So I said, I got to do cold cold calls every single day because there's a, I am the the bottleneck there, but then across Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I got to break up the tasks of prospecting into five different days. And so what I always like to say is I can beat Usain Bolt in a 50-meter dash. The way I'm going to do it is I'm going to make him run in 10 five-meter tubes and go in zigzags, and I'm going to run the 50-meter dash. And so on Monday, Usain Bolt is finding one account. He's finding a CFO, a controller, a head of finance on that account. He's going to try to tailor emails for that account now. And then he's gonna to try to make a call on that account. Meanwhile, on Monday, I'm pulling up my list at 4 p.m. outside of the golden hours. And at 4 p.m., I'm finding 20 to 25 accounts back to back to back to back to back to back Yeah. Tuesday, I'm finding the contacts. Wednesday, I'm teeing up the sequences and I'm just getting an email writing mode. And all my mind is doing is it's writing emails. I got the same tabs open. Thursday, I'm cleaning out all the junk or reworking it at a different angle. And then Friday, I'm doing deep, deep, deep ABM style account teardowns. We're actually sending people cakes and cookies and all that good stuff.
0: Nice. So, I mean, I mean, to me, it just screams like structure and organization focus, right? I mean, time management, to me, time management, momentum and focus are two underrated things in the sense that, by focusing for a period of time, I, th- I think there's there's something about this, uh, I forget the book, but it's like there's some, you probably know it better than I do, but if you have momentum doing something, right, where you you you're, you're, you have that groove and you stop for any reason, I think it's the stats say it some, takes something like eight to 10 minutes just to get back to where you were, right? So if you're cold calling, going back to your example of like you're cold calling and somebody gets a meeting and then they stop and they send information, and they go grab coffee, like you just murdered your momentum with cold calling. So it's like, for me, I'm just cold calling. During that hour, I'm not sending information. I'm not doing research. I'm not getting my, I do a, I usually do a one hour prep for a one hour call blitz. During that pr- hour, I'm looking at my numbers, I'm getting my names, you know, that type of stuff. So during that call blitz, I'm just hammering the phones, right? I'm not, right? Cause it, like I'll run call blitzes sometimes and I'll see kids and they'll like spend five minutes looking for a phone number, then go on the website, then do this and then make a phone. And like literally the four call like the hour goes by and they've made four calls. It's like, that was fucking meaningless. Um, which actually picks me because you—you and put something in the notes on this one. Uh, one in four people book a meeting with four, like. Let's talk about this one, man. You talking about get, booking a meeting with one in four people, like having a twenty-five percent conversion ratio when somebody picks up that phone.
2: Correct. Right. So, there's so a call to contact, which yeah. is a little bit tougher to control. You, you got to get good phone yeah. numbers. You got to call the right people, yeah. and that tends to be it. it tends to float around ten to twenty percent for us, right? right? And so it, it's getting more and more flooded. But when I do get somebody on the phone. So of that ten to twenty percent, one in four, I can book the volume. And so,
0: talk to me about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
2: so I I used to suck on the phones, John. I sold insurance, and I was eighteen years old at the time. And I would be calling on partners of law firms, and they would, I they could just mail me out. And so I, (laughs) I I break it down into a couple different pieces. So the first piece is the tone and the mindset behind the call, and Mm -hmm. I don't like to just talk mindset behind it. But uh, I used to be in strategy and 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 venture investments and. What we would do is, in order to get a business to say, hey, we're going to invest $50 million in this project, you would start with the managers, and then you'd go to the directors, and you'd present to the VPs, the SVPs, the EVPs, and then eventually the presidents or the CSS. And it it was hilarious. It was almost comical. As you would go up in the chain of command, they would talk slower. And maybe because they just became older and older ass men, maybe, maybe that was the thing. Yeah. But inevitably what happens is I used to work for the 200,000 employee companies. There is no way that the CEO or the CFO or the president of the division will know what's going on at the ground level or have a good grasp of what you're telling them. And so they can slow it way down and do real-time processing with you. And so that's the same mindset on a cold call when you get an objection. And so the first thing is when someone slams you with, hey, John, I'm not interested. The first, or I'm busy, I'm, I'm running into a meeting. Some people say, uh, I'm in a meeting. Who does that? Right? <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and the first thing every junior rep tries to do is they try to speed up. They say, oh, uh, Carter, can, I, can I just get 30 seconds to tell you what I'm calling you? Tell me if we're Blah blah, 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 blah. And you lose credibility. And so the first thing you got to do is when you get a tough objection, slow it way down and laugh. And so, John, if you say, hey, I'm not interested. (laughs) Shocker that when I picked up the phone, you don't have a bunch of time open on your calendar. Could you give me a sense of why you're not interested? Are are you working on Excel? Is it experience? How are you guys doing this stuff today? This sounds like you heard our name tossed around. And you just, the general tone behind it is, I assume you're going to take a meeting with me. And so I'm going to be surprised or laugh when you give me a tough objection.
0: Okay. It's funny you say that because I, I have always had the mentality that as long as you believe in what you do, right? You, and that's, I think, a fundamental thing here with sales reps is you got to believe that that what you do makes a difference. It doesn't make a difference for everybody, but it makes a difference for the right client, right? And if you have that belief, then you can have that mentality, right? Because my mentality always when I was call, call calling and still to this day when I make a few is I'm doing you a favor, and and I'm by the way I'm doing you a favor one way or the other because I'm doing you a favor because if you if you aren't the right you, if there's not a fit then I go away I take you off the list and you'll never hear from me again. If you if you're genuinely not a fit for what we do, right? Uh but if you are a fit then I got some awesome shit here, man that'll make a difference. So let's just have this conversation. And I think you're spot on. It's like there there comes a level of maturity, I think, of slowing down. And I mean now at 44 years old, like I'm still, I still fucking go hard, man. Right. But at the end of the day, conversations are a lot more paced than they used to be. Right. But, but do you think that that's inherent in the role in the sense that like we're asking these kids to make 50 dials a day? So it's a short term thing, like go, 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 go. And, and how do you, how do you coach, how do you coach something like that without experience?
2: Yeah. I I think a lot of it is just, being able to point that out happening in real time on a sales call where you can point to a CFL and say, Hey, look how slow this guy's talking. You got to slow it way down as somebody who talks super, super, super quickly. The second thing is with SDRs by just, I hate it when people say, Oh, sell the dream, sell the vision, talk slowly. That's not tangible. So I actually break the cold call down into four different parts. So it's uh, what's your opener. How do you value prop or how do you say your value prop or whatever you want to call it? How do you handle objections and how do you go in for the kid? And so it starts with the opener. And so a lot of people in their openers, what are the two most common openers? How's your day going?
0: How's are doing? Yeah. How you doing today? Or is
2: now a bad time? Yeah, Those are the two most common ones. Yeah. I'm actually more okay with the first one than the second one, because it's never a good time. Joe. Never. It is never. never, ever a good time. And so what we start with is uh, you start with an assumptive opener. And so I'm huge on leading with context. And so you've done your research, you've done your account teardowns and everybody else is going to pick up the phone saying, hey, it's Armand at Carta, insert whatever opener. And I actually flip that up on its head. And so my opener sounds something along the lines of, hey, John, we, we work with a number of Andreessen portfolio companies, we're one ourselves. It, it's Armand at Carta. Have you heard our name tossed around? And then you shut them.
0: Nice. Yeah.
2: And so you lead with context because that gets them to sit up. And so you can use that with, hey, we work with your competitors. It's Armand Icarta, have you heard our name tossed around? We work in your industry, we work with your lawyers, you raised a round, congrats on that. It gets their attention, and then you say your name, which is much less important. And then you don't ask, how's it going, or is it a bad time? You ask if you've heard the name tossed around, because I'm in your network, and I assume that you should know that I'm calling. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, I like that. See, I, we and there's a little. there. So what you talked about there is like, there's a pattern interrupt factor, right? Like you're, you're, you're interrupting the pattern of what everybody else says. Um, because even like, hey, how you doing today? But also, hey, this is John Barrows with J Barrows sales training, right? As soon as that comes out of my mouth, you're like, fuck sales call, get me off this phone. And you're literally not listening to what I'm saying to you right now. Like you are just waiting for me to take a breath. I mean, I could say I got a bag of gold here for you. All you got to do is tell me hi. and And you're still going to be like, yeah, whatever. Send me an in information, right? Um, so we do, we do a slightly different, we do the pattern interrupt where we're like, Hey, thanks for taking my call. Do you got a couple of minutes and then shut up and inevitably it's well, not really, but who is this? What do you want? Well, this is John with Jay Barrow sales training and the reason for my call today and I move right into it. So I don't, to your point, like your name is not important. So you say it because it's rude not to, but then you, but then you move right into the reason for your call. And the reason is we are working with your competition. I was on your website, yeah, you know, whatever that is, but it gets right to that point. And that's where just that small, slight interruption of, hey, thanks for taking my call. You got a couple of minutes that pauses them for a second is a little bit of a, all right, you know, let's now nah, let's have an actual conversation.
2: Exactly. So. And then that bleeds right into your value prop. So you basically just pull the context a little bit forward and then you do the context and then value. And that's the same structure for phones and for emails, whatever it might be. It's context value apps. So a lot of people will be like, well, oh, hey, it's, it's John at J. Barrows Consulting and, and we do X, 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 Y, Z. And here are the seven bullets of all the things we do. Right. And so instead say, hey, I know this about you and that's why I'm in business and I'm trying to call you. Yeah. And that resonates 10 times more than some knockoff elevator pitch.
0: What? What's this disarmingly blunt stuff you talk about?
2: Yeah. So uh, being disarmingly blunt. And so sometimes people will, one thing that throws off new reps all the time is they'll be like, where'd you get my phone number? Or uh, insert X very surprising. Uh, hey, is this a cold call or what are you yeah, trying to sell yeah, me? Yeah. Yeah. And so when people say, is this a cold call? I say, yes, it's an extremely well-researched cold call. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm gonna Am I going to try to like trick them into saying that I'm selling them? I'm not going to do that. Nope. Uh, where did you get a number? I, I Googled your first and last name on the internet and your company and you're a pretty popular guy. Yeah. I can actually show you, but, yeah. and I get 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling. And then you can tell me if we're a fit
0: yeah and so you just pattern break interrupt yeah i do that too like somebody's like um where'd you get my uh i mean i'll i'll even I, i'll straight up say the tool like where'd you get my number zoom info It's was like oh oh like, like what are you fucking stupid like like where you know what i mean like or like um it is this i like this one is this a cold call my answer to that one is uh depends on what your definition of cold is <laughs> Right. Or I, I like this one, uh, which is, is this a sales call? Like the nuances matter, right? Because if somebody's like, is this a sales call? My answer is I have no idea. And they're like, excuse me, how do you know, not know this is a sales call? I'm like, I don't know. If you have something that my solution can solve, then sure, it becomes a sales call. But right now, I have no idea whether you even need what I have. So I just want 10 minutes of your time so I could ask you a few quick questions. And then, yeah, maybe it'll turn into a sales call if there's something we can work on together. And inevitably, that is kind of like, the, the to your point, like the disarmingly blunt or like the, I'm not lying to you because I'm not going to say, no, it's not a sales call. No, it's not a, you know, not a cold call. I'm going to say, I don't know. Depends, <laughs> right?
2: It, it's the same exact philosophy by behind, I mean, John, basically what you're saying is like, you're going to do that pattern interrupt and basically say, hey, I don't know if this is a sales call. I'm mm-hmm. not, a, a horrible salesperson is the one who sells before they need to sell or sells oh. before they know context. And so this is actually about you right? I'm in your network. I'm going to ask you a couple questions. The same thing goes when you get a really, really tough objection. Instead yeah. of giving an answer, if somebody says, I'm on this competitor, don't yeah. just start ripping apart the competitor, especially oh, if no. you're in a complex solution. If someone's on SAP and you're selling Oracle and they say I'm on SAP, you could literally go through 17 different white papers on how SAP is different. you yeah. got to ask questions first.
0: Yeah. Well, and also you can never call somebody's baby ugly. You know what I mean? Like whatever their existing solution is, be like, oh, cool. How's that working out for you? You know what I mean? Like I even go as basic as like I still to this day after 23 years of selling, I still use the question. Okay, cool. On a scale of one to 10, how happy are you in this area of that? You know what I mean? Like that type of thing. Give me a number, right? If you're a 10, cool. Let's get off the phone right now. Like not even worth us having this conversation. If you're a nine, maybe, maybe there's something for us to chat about, right?
2: What's the biggest thing is people forget to push pull on a call. You yeah. can push away and say like, I'm sure you got this stuff taken care of right? They're, they're an awesome company. You know, my guess is this isn't an issue for you. Sometimes what we'll find is X can be a little bit challenging. Is that the case for you? Are you guys good? Yeah. And then you can push away and it it immediately starts to lower the guard.
0: Do you disqualify more than you qualify?
2: When I, the moment, so the beauty of the phones is you can get to your quick nose faster. So whatever it is about human psychology, there's something called an open rate on an email, as you know, and there's a 50 to 60 to 70% open rate if you're, if you're quite good. And then there's the reply rate, which is dramatically lower than the the open rate. And so inevitably the remaining 50 people who did open the email, but did not reply to the email are inherently telling, you no, or they have objections that they don't actually want to give you. And so if I get one, two, three objections that I know Is not going to be a fit for or whatever I'm selling. It's actually great because now I can take them out of my account list. It actually allows me to spend less time researching and writing emails to get a quick rejection. But when I smell the right type of rejection that they weren't willing to give me on the email, that's when I come in hot.
0: Do you have you been through Sandler? Yes. Upfront contract.
2: Yes, we've done it.
0: Do Do you use it?
2: I don't use it. So they start with the, did I catch you at a bad time? I, I don't like
0: that. I think that's terrible, right? No, but I'm saying like, hey, the, you know, the goal of this call is I'm going to ask you a few quick, you know, something like this on a cold call. So usually my flow is, hey, thanks for taking my call. Do you got a couple of minutes? Well, not really, but who is this? What do you want? Well, this is John with J. Barrow and The reason for my call today is, and I just want to see if I can get 10 minutes on your time, right? And then they'll say, sometimes they'll say, well, look, you caught me now. What do you want? And i'll be like look i know you weren't expecting my call so i'm gonna be brief here i got a few quick questions for you at the end of that i'll tell you exactly you know what are components of our solution that might make a difference for you and then from there you can tell me whether or not it makes sense for us to take the next step is that cool with you right so i kind of use a mini mini upfront contract there and then go because now i've set the stage i'm going to ask you a few quick questions then i'll give you and then you'll determine right so have you have you like how do you set the stage for the conversation? Because another thing that, and the reason I, I reintroduce that after not using it for a little while is because there's always that anxiety when somebody picks up the phone that they're, they, they just don't want the conversation to go very long. And so that's why my, my thought is the reason that somebody says, hey, I'm not interested or, or I'm going into a meeting right now is because they do have time. They just don't have this much time. And because I don't know who you are, I'm going to assume that this is going to take longer than I want it to, right? So that's why I'm always going to say, no, this isn't a good time. But if I quantify and then say, hey, five questions, five minutes, now all of a sudden your expectations are clear and you sit and listen. So have you worked any of that into the flow of how you approach things?
2: 100%. So some people use that right off the bat. And I use it a little bit more similar to how you do, where I do my traditional opener that I already used. And then if I get... the, The biggest thing is if I get like a competitor... Or if I get a pricing objection, I don't use it there because I'm going to handle that objection appropriately. I use it when I get any dismissive objection, which is uh, I'm not interested or I'm busy or I'm in a meeting or I'm jumping into a meeting. Because now I'm basically, anytime somebody's really being a jerk and just trying to swap me away, I basically say like, look, man, I know you weren't sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Like, can I get 30 seconds to tell you why I'm calling? And then you can tell me if we're fit. And it totally disarms them. And they say, fine. And I booked tons of meetings off that because I guarantee if you just try to go in with your pitch right after that, they're going to be so pissed off. They're going to be so pissed off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the big problem is like everybody thinks the pitch is what matters and it doesn't. And I, you know, and I had to learn this, right? I mean, for years when I was cold calling, I I thought it was the elevator. You come up with a kick-ass elevator pitch and you say it until your ears bleed and, you know, you trip over a few opportunities and that's the game. Um, I don't have, I don't even have an elevator pitch anymore. You know what I mean? Like I literally don't, because my answer is always dynamic based on what you do, right? Because somebody will say, "Well, what do you do?" I'll be like, Sh- "I do a lot of shit." You know, let me let me ask you a few questions. Like, what's your role? What do you do? And this da 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 da, and what's your, you know? And then okay, well, people like you and your type of role in that situation, this is what I do. Yeah, Versus yeah. people like you in that type of role, this is what I do, right?
2: I, I made a post the other day, and I-, I put up a picture of an exhibit. You know, from Pit My Ride. And so uh, the the post is that nobody gives a crap about the history of your company
1: or your elevator pitch. The elevator pitch
2: is dead. If you get into an elevator and all of a sudden start saying Carter was 10,000 customers and this and that, nobody cares. And so when Exhibit sells his uh, whatever bathtub in a truck, he doesn't start the episode with a bathtub in a truck. You'd be horribly confused. And right. so what he does is he says, "Yo, you told me you like this. And so I put a bathtub in your truck. You told me you like to swim. So I put the jets in the sky and all that right, stuff. Right. And so he says, you told me this. And so that's why we do this. And that's the philosophy behind discovery, behind cold calls. Cold calls are really just a compressed discovery call. And if you oh. can get really, really good at cold calling, it'll actually make you shut up more in a discovery call.
1: That's it. A-
0: why? Tell me, because I, I like that. I, I think I know where you're going with that. Like, why, why will you be better at discovery if you do a really good job cold calling?
2: So it's a couple different reasons. So you ever you track talk to listen ratio. Oh, yeah. And yep. Exactly. And so that's the first thing is in a cold call. If you can't get past those first 30 seconds,
0: yeah.
2: or if you can't catch their interest in a very, very few number of words, you're screwed. Yeah. In a discovery, you have the luxury that... Ignorantly, you may be able to talk at a prospect for 30 minutes. Yeah, you don't have that in a cold call, right? The second thing is in a cold call, I think of a cold call as an hourglass, and so the hourglass is constantly spinning down sand. If you can get past the first 30 seconds, the hourglass will continue to spin down sand. Every time you can ask a question and handle an objection well, you get a little bit more sand in that hourglass.
0: Gotcha,
2: there's some high watermark or high sand mark where if you're enough good questions and you identify very quickly one or two pain points and handle those objections extremely well, you can cut it off and book the meeting when it's time. And so if you can't get one or two or three pain points, nobody ever picks up the phone. Hey, we do this. Boom, let's meet. Never yeah. happens. Yeah. The money is made in handling the first, second, and third objection and booking the meeting. And that's discovery.
0: like it. Cool, man. Well, shit, man. I think we could we could do a whole training on this stuff. You and I, like, uh, we we have a very. I, I think we t- we we use different phrases for different things, but we got a very similar approach to to the tactics around and the structure. And I think this is cool where, where it ended up, right? Because we talked about the structure of your days, the structure of time management, but also getting getting down to the like the structure of how you make a call. To your point, how you introduce yourself matters. What that initial value proposition is, how you handle that objection, and then how you close it out. You can, if you parse those things out, you can actually start to micro test each one of those components, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm going to change my intro. I'm going to keep the same flow of my conversation. We're going to change the intro a little bit there and see what happens to it. Are you big into like testing different approaches or like, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you evolve? Right.
2: And so it's a lot easier in email because it's written. You can do a little bit of that stuff in chorus and gong, but it's, it's not perfect yet. Right. But the bottom line is back in the old days, you would literally have a T chart when we were selling insurance. And I would try this opener 17 times, try the yeah. other opener 17 times. And I know you've told some stories about that. Yeah. And I would do that. And so I can do that in the masses with 30 SDRs. Holy shit. I'd be man. like, all right, we've done pricing tests where like everyone's gonna quote at this price and they're gonna do these features, and then everyone else is gonna do a la carte and we're gonna see where it comes. And so that's the beauty of being in leadership is I hate it when people just sit back in the chair and they say, Oh, sell the dream, sell the vision. Uh-huh. Break it down into processes and digestible pieces for your team and then poke and tweak and tweak one variable at a time. And you can have a ma- enablement do a little bit of this, but your job as a manager is to figure this stuff out. It's not to throw it over the fence to the training team and just sit there and coach a bunch of deals.
0: I mean, that that's actually, I was having a conversation recently with somebody where like, I think the inadvertent uh, outcome of, of the uh, proliferation of, of um, enablement Right. So enablements come on strong over the past few years as far as like a really big, de- you know, good department. Most companies are investing in sooner and that. Too. But I think an inadvertent outcome is like a lot of managers have just thrown up their hands to say, oh, that's their job. You know what I mean? Like, oh, their job is to train my team. I'm, I'm going to help close deals. So I, I to, to get in the weeds like you're talking about and leverage the team to test out certain shit. And be there with them, making those calls, sending the you know what I mean? Like that's re- what real leadership and management does. And that's where teams get excel and, and to your and circle all this through. That's where the people who don't buy into that mentality will filter out really fast and you'll have those kids who are driven, who wanna be metric driven. You know what I mean? And 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 that team that'll keep figuring things out as you go. Exactly. You know I mean? Cool. Awesome, man. Well, I love this conversation. Um Let's, uh, so let's, cause I'd like to k- kind of keep these around 45 minutes or so. What's, um, what's a good way for people? Like, what do you, what, what do you want people to know now, as far as what Carta, what you're doing, like, um, where to go find you, Are you guys hiring? Talk to me a little bit.
2: Definitely. So Carta is an awesome place to work at. We keep a pretty high energy and pace. You can tell I've had a couple of red bulls today. And <laughs> if You want to come in and you want to be number one, you want to start a company. You want to be a CXL, uh, come and apply. And you can also just email me directly at Armand, A-R-M-A-N-D, at Carta, C-A-R-T-A dot com. Love it. So you can just send me an email. We're hiring like crazy. We're backed by some of the best VCs in, in Silicon Valley, and we're about 900 people. So we're right in that sweet spot where we're still small enough to be a nimble startup, but we're not this big conglomerate, so you can still grow quite a bit. And I'm 27 years old, and I, I think I'm an example of that.
0: Yeah, that's huge, man. I mean, c- kudos to you. I fucking was nowhere near where you are at twenty seven years old. So <laughs> good for you. Um, awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for this time. I appreciate it. Um, for everybody else out there, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and got some stuff out of it because there was we talked about some real tactical shit here that that you should go back and listen to and apply um, because th- there there's some there's some gems in this one. So thank you very much, uh, Armando, for this one, for this conversation. I appreciate it, brother. Exactly. And every everybody out there just as always you know if you're having a shitty day uh try to go make somebody smile because even if you had the shittiest day ever if you made somebody smile you know you had a good day and we need to spread a little bit more positivity in this world so everybody have a great week and make it happen thank you all very much
1: All right, y'all, that's a wrap. As always, we encourage you to become a JB Sales member and gain access to the JB Sales team. Our training, our courses, tips, webinars, and replays are all available for you at ondemand.jbarrows.com. Follow us on Instagram for daily sales techniques and tactics at Training, all one word, and we'll catch up with you on the gram. Have a great week, everybody. Get out there and serve those clients. Catch up with those prospects. Be sure that you are asking the right questions, doing the right things, and serving people to the best of your ability. Get out there and make somebody smile today. It'll make your day and theirs. We'll see you next week when we bring you another stellar guest to help you sell better. Make it happen, everybody.